Welcome everyone to our second Tech Captain podcast. Uh, this time we are lucky to have Colin Eberhardt, I hope I pronounce it well, with us, uh, with more than 20 years in the industry. And as usual now, we have uh, Gareth joining us uh, to, to, to do the interview and bring another, another perspective uh, to, to this discussion. Hi, Gareth. Hi guys. Hi, uh, hi Ron. Hi Colin. Good to good to meet you. So Colin, like uh, I'd like to go to go straight into the topic and like ask you if you can maybe tell us more about the previous roles that shaped you. I know you spend lots of time at Scott Logic now, but yep. before you tell us more about like this experience, maybe what you've done before and how it led you to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So um, I I guess. I didn't start out in life looking to be a, a, a programmer or a computer scientist. I studied physics at university. And the first job that I got out of university was a little bit different. I was a microscope designer. So I was combining mechanical engineering, optical engineering, electronic engineering, various different disciplines. And I guess in terms of things that, that shaped my career, I think spending some time doing non-software engineering I think has has given me a, a slightly different perspective than if I'd been a a career software engineer so that was that was the first uh, job that I had although one of the, one of the positives uh, of that was it's it's an interesting discipline it, you get to experience so many different things however microscope designer there aren't many places that that need microscope You're the first designers. one I've like, ever met <laughs> exactly uh, there were there were a sum total of two companies I could work for in the in the whole of the UK. And beyond that, there were a few in Germany. And I got to a point in my life where I wanted to live where I wanted to live, and then find work in that area. Which is why I, I was reasonably competent, self-taught programmer. I thought, well, that's that's the obvious career to take. There are software jobs everywhere. And this was even before um, a, a lot of uh, remote working was the norm. Pretty much any city you, you travel to in any country, you can find software engineering work. So I, I, I took a choice to, to move into software, and that's allowed me to stay in the northeast of England rather than living in, living in London. I live by the seaside. So, you know, I've, I've picked the place that I want to live. And um, I've, I've never looked back. The, the first company I worked for was... Um, a company where we were designing uh, medical systems, uh, sort of medical IT systems, which was really good because it meant I, I went from being a bit of a software hacker on the side to being in, in an organization where there was quite a rigorous process for software development because the systems we were developing were, were quite critical. So I was only there for a few years, but I learned a, a huge amount about the, the the rigor that goes into writing software rather than the hacking that I used to do on the side. And then following that, joined Scott Logic Consultancy and I've been there for about 16 years now. So that's been a huge part of my career. Yeah, that's what that that's what that's what I saw. And that's what really striked me when I prepared this interview to see that you've been at Scott Logic for 17 years and in today, it's quite unusual to have somebody staying even more than two and a half years in the same job. So, 
can you tell us like what you are doing and why do you love it that much? Like what's what, what's happened that, that makes you, you spend that time there? What, what's so great about it? Yeah, well, Scott Logic for starters, is a software consultancy. So rather than being uh, in most product companies, you, you uh, work on one project product or a suite of products and they may evolve slowly over time. Whereas working as a consultant, uh, your job can be different one day to the next, maybe not quite so frequently as that. I mean, we, we tend to move projects on a maybe monthly or yearly sort of timescale. So there's a huge amount of variety. I've worked on web projects, server projects, messaging platforms. Um, I've developed mobile applications, done all sorts of things, used things like AI technologies, you know, steered clear of blockchain, thankfully. Uh, but there's a, there's a huge amount of variety to be had uh, within consultancy. And I guess the other thing that's kept me at Scott Logic is I joined when there were about 15 people there. There are now close to 500. So we're, we're a, a company that's growing steadily. And I was, I was fortunate enough to join the company at a relatively, relatively early stage. So I'm now part of yeah, the. Yeah, you're basically a founder. Yeah, exactly. Whilst I wasn't quite there to be a, a founder, I'm close enough to be part of the management team now. And that, has its own set of challenges, which again are just interesting to me. I, I, I like tackling new new challenges, which is to your point, this is why a lot of people move from uh, one company to another. It's, it's to find a new challenge. I'm lucky that I work in a company where new challenges present themselves, so I don't have to move jobs. Do you find, I mean, are you, um, are you in, in, hands-on in any of the projects at all now, or is that really just not possible? Not not much very little i i occasionally come in in a sort of advisory capacity i i do keep hands on and that's something that is very important to me but typically that's within open source so i've i tend to you know at least every maybe not every day these days but at least every week i'm writing some code for something it's just um I'm probably not the person to have on the critical path for any client delivery. Um, so it, it is important to me to remain hands-on. And part of that is from some past experiences working with some, uh, I guess, enterprise architects whose decision-making I thought was not terribly good because they were so distant from how computers actually work. I, uh, whilst I, I would not say that architects have to write code, I think still understanding how things work or at least understanding where the where you meet the limits of your knowledge and you should probably talk to someone who's closer to the code probably younger than yourself so that's it, it's important to me to, to remain hands-on it's actually interesting because i i noticed obviously you, you seem to be quite a strong open source advocate um in, in the financial services community so i'm wondering what are the sort of obstacles there because there's obviously compliance is a big thing um and then I, I seem to remember, I think it's less so now because I think, you know, under their new um, CEO, Microsoft has sort of embraced open source, but they used to, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of stuff spoken about how it was less secure. I mean, it was nonsense, really. So I'm just yeah. wondering, what, what's your experience now? Yeah, it, it, and you're right to sort of point to the financial services because uh, as an industry, they are behind and they are provably behind. Um, I I ran a, a research project with Linux Foundation last year where we looked at um, open source across Europe 
Uh, and we also looked at how open source differs between sectors and financial services, insurance and the public sector are all laggards when it comes to both open source consumption and open source uh, contribution. And you're right, uh, compliance is is one challenge that they have. So from a compliance perspective, uh, there's a lot of communications which must be recorded for regulatory and audit purposes. And there are some technology challenges which make that challenging when uh, communicating through things like GitHub and so on. To be honest, that's a bit of an excuse because any technologist will look at that problem and say, yeah, I can I can probably build something that will fix that problem. The bigger problem has always been uh, the value proposition and the fear of leaking IP. So value proposition is just understanding the benefit of using open source technologies and, and, and understanding the ecosystem and the benefits that it brings. And the fear of leaking IP is simply that um, the financial services sector has for a long time been quite guarded about their code and their IP. And again, it's an understanding thing. They don't, one of the conversations I have again and again is the vast majority of the stuff you're doing is things like Kubernetes, you know, there's no IP um, wrapped up in Kubernetes, which is specific to the financial services. Maybe 1% of your code base represents some genuine IP. And yes, you should guard that closely, but the vast majority of it, well, again, being a consultant, we move, I move from client to client and I look at it and go, you're building the same thing as that other bank over there. It's not that unique. So it, it's, it is getting better, uh, but I think the key to it all is understanding the value proposition, because if you don't understand the value of open source, then you're not motivated to tackle some of the obstacles, whether they're real or, or even imagined obstacles. And I have some questions about like, to go back to the, the agency, the agency's code logic, like myself so we we all sit here like and on linkedin like every week at least i would have someone some agency in some country of the world called messaging me there's a lot of of tech agencies today so many like but they're usually smallish or huge like huge corporates of like dozens of yep. thousands of people or small ones of up to 20 30 maybe 50 people like you guys have grew to hundreds of people more than 400 if i'm if i'm correct yeah. What is your secret? Well, what's what's so special about it? Uh, well, as you can imagine, there's no real secret. I mean, a lot of it is is uh, well. The funny thing is, you, you talk to any consultancy, and they'll say that quality and expertise. Ev everyone has quality and expertise, but really, most don't have the kind of quality and expertise that you might wish for, and. That that is the most important thing to Scott Logic that that we do a fantastic job on on each and every engagement. And unfortunately, as consultancies grow and scale, they they do start to compromise uh, because growing and scaling is hard. Finding finding the the quality of consultant, the quality engineers to join your organisation is hard, and it's easy to compromise in order to to grow. Um, we're not going to make that compromise, which is why um, it, it, uh, a consultancy of you know 500 people, it sounds quite big, but it took us 17 years to get there. I can point to other consultancy organizations that have reached that number in the space of a few years because they've had 
Uh, they've had funding. They've just gone out and hired huge quantities of people. So we're in it for the lot. We're in it for the long term. We're going to continue to grow steadily with, by not compromising on on quality expertise. And also, um, uh, sort of almost secondary to that is um, we also try to have a fairly sort of uh, unique feel to Scott Logic. So um, we want our our consultants to be um, sort of expert advisors to our clients. You know, not not saying yes to the clients, uh, be, knowing when is the right time to challenge and how to challenge properly. Um, you know, we bring innovation, but also we make sure that um, we're pragmatists at the same time. So I, I make a kind of joke about blockchain. We'd we'd not recommend blockchain to anyone because it's whereas many other consultancies will ride the ride the hype wave and and generate more revenues but in the long term they're going to end up with a whole bunch of clients who are wishing they never picked that technology so it's it's not an easy question to answer in in one go there's not one thing that makes us unique it's a combination of lots and lots of things which is again why it's it's difficult to guard to to defend all of these principles as you grow but we're trying. Are you giving away free Newcastle brown ale, right? <laughs> yeah. Direct direct line to the brewery or something like that. <laughs> no, we, we've not tried that gimmick yet. <laughs> funnily enough, funnily enough, it's not, it's, people don't drink it much around here. I was surprised to find um, one of the first times I went to America and, said, and I didn't expect many of them to know Newcastle. They went, oh yeah, yeah, the beer. Yeah, the beer is great. It's like, yeah, no one drinks it back home. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that 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 that's interesting what you say, uh, Colin, about the the advising the client and be able to push back on what they say because that's something that not many people do because they are too scared of losing the business or because they are too inexperienced or immature and they they can't take that stance. And that's something like how do you approach that because you don't always know how the client is going to react to you pushing back on some of their demand because they don't make sense on a technological point of view. Yep. It's, it's really challenging. I think saying no in the right way, or at least, uh, I think that's one of the hardest things as a consultant, because what, one of the things that I, I talk to our team about quite a lot is you you have to have empathy with the clients. Uh, there are many instances where I've been into an organization and I've looked at their technology and looked at their decisions. I think, God, this is terrible. And then I talk to the people and think these people are really quite smart. And it's far too easy to to look at terrible technology and blame the people that are in the room, blame the people that are still you know maintaining that system. You have to understand that Often there'll be a history, there'll be a story behind it, which is why they're in that situation. And also uh, people become, to a certain extent, institutionalized. Once you've lived with a certain technology or product for a number of years, it's, it becomes quite hard to be critical of what you already have. So uh, it, it, you have to be very uh, careful about how you say no, you have to do it from a pos position of empathy and understanding. And even no is probably the wrong way to express it. It's it's more about, I understand why the technology is in the current state it is. I understand the 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 forces that have brought you to the to this position. We believe that rather than investing further in the current technology, there's another way. This this is the path to a better future. And if if you ex 
if you explain it with with empathy and without creating a, a situation of of conflict, um, it's it's always well received. But you've also got to be prepared to compromise. You've got it, you may collectively reach a conclusion that yes, there is a better way, but that might have to wait a year. It might have to wait until they have budgets, or it might have to wait until a more appropriate time in the yeah, evolution that's very of their platform. And like, but how do you deal like with so many different tech stacks? Because you have like dozens of projects at the same time, probably plus the ones you maintain yeah. or you, you provide support for, like, how do you maintain so many different tech stacks or do you specialize in one? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a very good question. We, we don't specialize in a particular tech stack and we've also uh, been shied away from technology partnerships because again, technology partnerships often result in, consultancy is going in the wrong direction. It, you get to the point where if you have a commercial agreement with Microsoft, then all of a sudden Microsoft is the solution to every problem. We don't we don't want to do that. So we don't have those types of partnership. But it does mean that we end up working in a wide range of languages, a wide range of frameworks. But I guess the, the way I see it is um, a, a lot of the skills are transferable. Uh, you can take someone who's a who's uh, experienced in C-sharp and they will become competent in Java within, you know, a modest amount of time. Now, that's not quite the same as having years of experience and years of knowledge around the whole ecosystem, but there are a whole load of skills which are transferable. Uh, it's the same maybe true with databases, for example. Once once you've, you're familiar with the concepts of a relational database, You can transfer your skills from, I don't know, MySQL to Oracle relatively easily. And again, I'm, I'm not for one minute going to say that there isn't a, a need for some of the deep expertise that you get over a period of years. So this is the principle we generally operate on. Our, our consultants do move from one tech stack to another. However, as they become more experienced, they do develop deep specialisms. So delivering a project is is often often requires finding possibly one or two people with deep specialist experience and then then a, a, a collection of people who are who have skills that are transferable for that particular project. And in, in and I I practice what I preach as well. I mean I've I've programmed in Swift, Objective C, Java, C sharp, JavaScript, TypeScript. You know, I've done, you know, almost 10 different languages um, and delivered projects with those languages. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a good a good programmer, certainly in a high level language, can probably transition between different languages. I mean, the thing when you're hiring, it's always, you know, do you have to get something done very quickly? So you want someone with the experience who you can drop in versus someone who you're going to retain, who you're going to build as part of your team. And probably I'm guessing a lot of your guys really like the fact that they get to work on lots of different things and learn lots of different tech. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons people, a, a certain type of people like to work on consult within consultancies because there's, there's always something different and new around the corner and it might be a different technology or it may be a different domain. You may end up doing financial services work one week and then work for a public sector organization the next. And that's, That's what I find interesting. And I, I know it's not not for everyone. Some people like to work on a particular product and platform and see it from from sort of genesis through to, you know, massive growth. And, th and that's absolutely fine. It, and that's one of the things that can be challenging with consultancies. Um, 
building something and then not not sticking around to watch it grow that that can be a bit of a shame but i still prefer the the variety that you get as a consultant so what would you what what advice would you give someone starting their tech career today i mean i'm guessing you probably bring in interns and stuff into an organization of that size but if someone's if someone's you know um just graduated university or even just leaving school thinking about doing computer science yeah i i would if it's in terms of i think it's important to find a job that that helps you develop as a person so um that's the step that i took in my first software job it was um making sure that the people that were interviewing me and the people that were around me were people that i looked at and thought yeah i could learn from you it, so part of it is seniority making sure that there's some senior people above you but also um as part of the interview i wanted to see um what their personality was like i wanted to see whether they were the types of people that i could learn from and i was i was quite fortunate i think the first job i i i landed in was had a really great learning culture and i think that's tremendously important so i i i'd always recommend in your first job you know you're you're on a continuing learning journey it's not learn get a job it's learn get a job and learn a whole lot more yeah absolutely you don't ever stop. yeah 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 and, and and that's the only thing i would say with this business is that the pace of everything is continually accelerating so you have to be upskilling yourself all the time or, or it's just very easy to become not irrelevant just just not be able to grasp especially in your business where you're recommending solutions right you need to have an understanding of what the cutting edge is you're not always going to recommend it but you need to know what it is so tend to uh, recommend yeah. just behind the cutting edge but you're, you're right you, just need, you behind, do need to keep yeah. an eye on the, the cutting edge and, and the bleeding edge but yeah you're right i i do think technology seems to be evolving ever ever faster although the one thing that kind of bugs me is and i'd be interested in your opinion on this one so uh with the technology advances um we've got you know new frameworks things like microservice patterns surely we should be able to build uh software projects faster than we used to in the past but i look back at what i was doing i don't know 15 years ago when it was yeah. app servers and java applications and it was a whole lot simpler we didn't have so many choices um uh, uh but i i'm sure that projects took roughly the same amount of time i think we we sort of compensate for the advances in technology by making things more complicated for ourselves it's a i, I think there's a almost a law in that i i agree i agree with you i think techies like to make it more complex to show they are smarter there's two technologies that do the same but they want to say oh why did you choose that one the number a why not the letter b like but they do exactly the same just to show that they know the other one better i i think it's just an industry thing but i think also many of these technologies were were created more for collaboration on large scale but it's not faster like the fastest thing is to make a PHP page and drag and drop in FileZilla in your FTP server. <laughs> but I think the other thing too is I've, I've had in mind to write a media, uh, an article, my next article, which I was going to call The Fallacy of Fixed Frameworks because I like alliteration. But also, um, I just, uh, you can continually, continually read this thing that, you know, first of all, it's microservices. Now we're talking about going back to monoliths, a modular, then it's serverless, and then it's, you know, um, there's, all, there's always something that's being pushed as the latest. And this is the solution you should go down on. You know, you should be agile. You should be waterfall. You should try Kanban. 
but but oftentimes it's something it's what the best fit is for the organization right it's not a it's not a prescribed formula that always works but we seem to like inventing new ones in this industry that's what to ron's point i think yeah very true very true we we make we almost almost precisely compensate for any advances which makes things simpler by inventing some new complexity <laughs> and as a yeah. result building i don't know uh, let's take a take an example Bil- building uh, an erp system i think probably takes exactly the same amount of time now as it did 15 20 years ago even though theoretically it shouldn't surely but yeah it's an odd one probably Probably. Well, I think we will conclude on this, on the thought and open-ended questions. Thank you so much, Colin, for your time. Yeah, no worries. Good to meet you. Likewise. And for everybody listening, Gareth and I will be back in two weeks, every Tuesday. Thanks, Colin. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.